Well, as we move into the Christmas season, I wonder, do you remember Christmas as a kid? Waking up at 5 a.m. and finally running into the living room and opening up the gifts that you had waited so expectantly for for so long and the joy and the ecstatic feelings as you finally got maybe what you want or maybe what you didn't want, but you were just happy to get something under the tree and to eat good food. Um, I think in those days you could probably describe them as uh, being merry and bright, right? I mean, I remember those days. I was, I'm the youngest of three, and so I shared a room with my brother Will when we were really young, and so I was the youngest, so I'd always get up first, and then I would wake him up, and then we would stay in our room because our parents had a rule. You weren't allowed to come out of your room on Christmas morning until a pre-approved time. And so they, you know, they weren't ha- we weren't doing, we weren't doing 5 a.m. and stuff. My parents weren't having that. So, you know, it was maybe 7, 7.30, we'd go, we'd get my parents, they'd go. My oldest brother was a lot older, so they'd drag him out of bed because he was, you know, a teenager and trying to sleep in. And then we would all go in and we would finally get to see what gifts were awaiting us. And it was a time just filled with joy and awe and wonder. And I think a lot of us, you know, we can look back to those, those childhood memories, but I also wonder, do you remember this? Do you remember when those feelings started to fade? And instead of the wonder and the awe of the season, you began to get a little more stressed out. Maybe you began to feel a little more grief during this time of the year. And it, it just felt like, man, you know, I wish I could kind of go back to those Early days. Do you remember when you, you kind of maybe made that transition and started feeling a little differently about Christmas? I remember, I don't know exactly when it was, but I remember when I was in school, it started happening because um, I was always one who stressed about grades. And so I had exams in high school at the end of the semester and all this stuff. And so every year during Advent, like I wasn't thinking about Christmas. I was just thinking about the test and the exams. And then I'd finally get to those and then I would just kind of like stumble into Christmas and, and just kind of wake up and be like, okay, here it is again. And I remember, too, working at a church. The, the first church I worked at, it was a large church. We had like eight services on Christmas Eve and cantatas and all this stuff. And you would think, you know, as a pastor's trying to help people experience the joy of the season, that for us it would always be a joyous time. But, but I remember during those days, it was like, man, this is the most stressful time of the year. I mean, we're worrying about bills at the end of the year and musicians and decorations. And as preachers, we were like, you know what? Okay, how do I preach these Christmas stories so that they impact people when these are stories that so many people have heard over and over again? And so it was kind of a, actually a stressful time of the year, even though I was working in a church. And I think it's between these two places that a lot of us find ourselves this season. I think a lot of us realize like, you know what? This can be a stressful time of the year. There's a lot of stuff to get done. There's bills to pay. There's credit card debt. There's gifts to get. There's parties to go to. There's stuff to wrap up. There's an acknowledgement of how hard the last few years have been. Like that's the reality here. And then a lot of us, we want to recapture that wonder and that joy and that awe of Christmas that we remember as children or in Christmas's past. And sometimes we don't, we don't know how to move from here over here. And because that's where I think a lot of us find ourselves this season, during the sermon series, what, what I want to do is I want to talk to you the next few weeks and leading up to Christmas about how you can experience hope 
peace, joy, and love in your life once again. How you can experience the wonder and the awe of Christmas and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll start out with some good news. The good news is that I'm not going to give you a list of things to do. I'm not going to tell you you need to decorate more, you need to give more, you need to to add all this stuff to your already busy life. I'm not going to say, hey, you know what, you need to just kind of like manufacture these feelings inside of you so that you can have the best Christmas ever. Instead, the good news I want to tell you is that these gifts, hope, joy, peace, and love, these are gifts that Jesus Christ himself wants to give to you. He wants to give to me. He wants to give them to us. We simply need to receive them into our lives. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about one specific gift that I believe Jesus wants to give all of us, and that is the gift of hope. And I want to start there because uh, I think hope is hard to come by these days, isn't it? I mean, I'm not that old, but never, never in my lifetime has it seemed like so many people are hopeless. There's a sense of despair in our culture, and it's not hard to understand why. I mean, you, you can just think about stuff going on in the pandemic, right? Like so many people were, were hoping that all of this would be a distant bad dream by now. And you turn on the news and, and you hear, okay, maybe, maybe this is going to keep going. If you, if you turned on the news, maybe, maybe you saw another police officer, Henry Laxon, in our community was, was killed in the line of duty recently. Some people, you know what, the last few years had hopes and dreams for their careers and for their relationships and for retirement and all that stuff has just kind of gone out the window and there's no blueprint for their lives now. And other people, like the, the economic situation that so many find themselves in, like for the pan, during the pandemic, like the economy for a lot of people has been great. They're doing better than ever, but for a large group of people as well, the economy isn't doing great in their lives. And they're worried about their houses and their bills and whether they're going to be able to make it. And so I wasn't surprised when I saw a study that was conducted last spring among 18 to 29 year olds that 51% of them said that they recently experienced feelings of being depressed, feelings of being downtrodden, feelings of hopelessness. And sometimes I think we don't want to, we don't want to acknowledge that that's the reality we're living in or we don't want to, we don't want to name it, but I think it's important to acknowledge and name the feelings so many people have. Because the truth is, as one theologian, Fleming Rutledge said, Advent begins in the dark. The Christmas story begins in the midst of darkness. If you go back 2,000 years ago, the Israelites who, who were living at the time around Jesus' birth, for them it, it was for a lot of people, a hopeless time. There were dark days. They weren't sure what the future held for them. They were a people living under the Roman government. They were oppressed. Herod was, was pushing down on them. They were having to do stuff they didn't want to do. And look, they were a people that in their history, in their story, they were enslaved at one point. They knew what it was like. 
Then they experienced freedom and then they had exile and then now they're back. And like, like they had all sorts of feelings of feeling hopeful, of feeling hopeless, of feeling like, okay, things are getting better. Now things are dark. And, and these are people, they knew the prophecies that the prophets of old had given to them, the people of God. So they knew words like these words from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. They had these things written deep in their hearts. They knew that Isaiah once prophesied that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. They knew these words, these promises from the prophets. But for a lot of them, it felt distant. A lot of people felt like maybe this will happen, but maybe it won't. It's been a long time since these words were spoken over us. They, they, they knew the Psalms like Psalm 130 that they would sing around campfires where they would, they would sing this. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord for the Lord is unfailing in his love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. They knew these promises of God. They knew that God had promised that one day he was going to send a Messiah to come and to deliver his people and establish a kingdom that would have no end. But but they were people who also had a hard time holding on to hope because it had been a long time. And it didn't look like things around them were getting any better. Things around them looked pretty dark. And you have to remember that at this point, uh, if you look in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And if you look between Malachi and the book of Matthew and Jesus' birth, there's about 400 years of history. And theologians call this the period of 400 years of silence. Because during those 400 years, there were, there were no prophecies spoken to God's people. And so a lot of people felt like maybe God had abandoned them. Maybe God wasn't a promise keeper. Maybe things weren't going to get better. Maybe there wasn't any reason to hope. And it's into this period of darkness at just the right moment that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus was the light sent into the midst of darkness. He was light in the midst of darkness, and he was sent to bring salvation. He was sent as the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of these promises of God. And he was sent to give people hope. He came to give hope. And now hope is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot 
a lot in our culture today. I mean, you, you think about sometimes people who are hopeful, we think, okay, those are people who just think positive thoughts all the time. They're hopeful. Or we think about the eternal optimists and we say they're hopeful. Or maybe, uh, parents, you might have seen this in your house. Anybody in here get the dreaded Amazon toy catalog? It's like the new rendition of the Sears catalog, right? So Amazon just sends them to everybody they know with children. They know from their algorithms if you have kids in your house or grandkids. They send them out. And so maybe you know the kids in your house, they've circled all the gifts they want and they've said, look, this is, this is everything I'm hoping for. This is my wish list. These are the things I really want this year. Sometimes we think of hope in those terms, but, but, but hope is a little different than all of those things. Biblical hope that we're talking about that Jesus gives. The hope that Jesus gives is, is, is it's deeper. It's deeper. It's stronger. The hope that Jesus gives, I have a definition here that we'll put on the screen. The hope that Jesus gives is a bold confidence and expectation that God's promises for our good will come to pass. A bold confidence and expectation that God's promises for our good will come to pass. Jesus came to give us that kind of hope, a hope that's deeper than optimism, that's, that's more than positive thoughts. And when Jesus entered this world from his very first days, he gave hope to people that he encountered. There's one man, his name is Simeon. He often gets overlooked in the Christmas story. He was a faithful, he was a devout, he was a spirit-filled man. And we read that he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting, he was anticipating this day. And then one day Jesus' parents brought him in the temple and, and, and Jesus gave him hope. Simeon proclaims this. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. He witnessed God fulfilling his good promises to the nation of Israel to send a Messiah, to send a Savior, and he was filled with hope as he left the temple that day. And he knew that God was trustworthy. He knew that God was a promise keeper, and he walked out of that temple with hope. And then later in Jesus' ministry, he met a woman, a woman at the well. She was a woman who was pretty hopeless at that time in her life. She had had broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. Most people came to the well during the mornings or the evenings when it was cool, but she came in the middle of the day because she was an outcast. She was ostracized because of her sin and because of all the experiences she's had in life. And as she's getting water, Jesus encounters her and he says to her, he says, hey, look, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this woman, she wanted eternal life. She wanted hope for the future, that something good was in store for her, not just in eternity, but, but here and now. And that day she wanted hope. And guess what? When she wanted hope and she asked Jesus for, Jesus gave her hope. And she left that encounter with him as a different woman. And then if you think about the disciples, you think about them on the day Jesus died on the cross and, and those few days afterwards, they were walking around in darkness as hopeless people because they, they thought 
that God was trustworthy. They thought that God was a promise keeper. They thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but all of their hopes were dashed and they were living in despair. And then Jesus encountered them with nail-scarred hands and he said, look, I've conquered sin. I've conquered death. This isn't the end. The worst thing doesn't have to be the last thing. There is good in your future. And he gave them hope. And the good news for you this morning is that the same hope that Jesus gave through his birth, through his life, and through his resurrection is hope that he wants to give you and me this Advent season. He wants you in a world of despair to have hope in your heart. To have a bold, confident expectation that he is working for your good. He is working for your good and his good promises will come to pass. And this hope is something that, that Jesus gives us. He gives it to us as a gift, but it's also something that can, that can grow in us. And I think hope grows in us, I, I think as we look back, as we look around, and as we look forward. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. I think hope grows in us as we, as we look back. And that's why this season is so important in the life of our church. This is why we light these candles each week. This is why every year we, we read the same Christmas stories and remember Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago. We do that because when we look back at the past and at history and how God has kept his promises, how he fulfilled all of the prophecies that were made before Jesus came into the world, when we remember that he kept his promises in the past, we can have confidence and trust that he will keep his promises to us in the future as well. And so it's important during this season to look back and to remember. And so I would encourage you, if, if you don't have a practice of, of prayer or scripture reading in your life, just start tomorrow. Start in Luke chapter one. Just start reading the Christmas story. Look back because as we do and as we see God's faithfulness to his people in the past, hope grows. It grows as we look back, but I also think it grows as we, as we look around. And there's kind of different ways to look at the world. And, and one way to look at the world is a way that I would say is maybe the default way today. And that's to just look at the world and see everything that's wrong and broken with the world. Do you have any friends on Facebook that that's how they look at the world and that's all they post is just the bad news and the brokenness and all of the darkness? No, just me. Okay. <laughs> that's kind of a default way that we look at the world now, I think. We just see the darkness. We see everything that's, that's wrong. We, we see the evil and we see the sin. And look, that stuff is there. And I'm not saying we need to ignore it or act like it doesn't exist. But there's another way of looking at the world. And that's not just to look at the brokenness, but also to have eyes to see how God is still at work today. Because one of the deepest truths about the incarnation of God coming into our world in the person of Jesus Christ, one of the things that mean is that he has not left us alone in this world. He has not abandoned our world. He hasn't just said, you know what? Hey, y'all just figure it out on your own. No, when he sent his son into this world and his spirit into this world, he is still at work. And so we can have hope that God is for us, 
that God is with us, that God is guiding us, and that, that God isn't done. He is still doing good in our world today. So I encourage you, look around, have eyes to see how God is at work. And I had, I had an example of this last week. Last Saturday night, uh, I don't remember what I ate for dinner, but, but that night I, I had some bold and vivid dreams. And I have a lot of dreams. I'm a dreamer. Like I can take a 10-minute power nap and I have a dream. But a lot of times I don't always remember what I dream about. I kind of forget them quickly. But, but last Saturday night I had a dream. And in my dream there was a friend who's a pastor. And he was just looking discouraged. His face was downtrodden. I don't remember exactly what was going on, but I was concerned for him. He was hurting. And it looked like he needed hope. And I forgot about it when I woke up and got ready for church. And I was driving down Simpson Mill Road and I thought about him. I said, you know what? I remember, I remember him in that dream. And I said, you know, I don't know if this is a dream from God because I would say 99.9% of my dreams are, are not given from God. But I said, but you know what? Maybe this has got to work. Maybe this is the point, 0.01%. And I said, what's the worst thing they can do if I message my friend a word of encouragement? And so I, messaged, I sent him a text before worship. I said, hey, I had this dream last night. You were looking discouraged. I haven't talked to this guy in months. He doesn't live locally. You were looking down and kind of hopeless. I just wanted to say to you today, God wants to give you hope. He's not done with you. He's still working in your church. Keep plowing the hard soil. And I said, you know, maybe this isn't from God, but if not, you can just, just take it. And he replied back soon after, and he said, I tossed and turned all night. I couldn't sleep. And he just put this, he put, he hurt me. God hurt me. He said, God spoke to you through that dream and he spoke through you to me. Thank you. That's not a common occurrence for me. But that day, God gave my friend hope. And God grew hope in me as well as I got to be part of God's work in the world. You see, God isn't done working in the world. And when we look around and we have eyes to see how he's at work, still hope grows in us. But I would say for me, my hope grows the most, not just when I look back and, and look around, but also when I look to the future. When, when I open up God's word and I see the promises that he has for us and for our future, promises like in Revelation this one, that one day Jesus will wipe away every tear. This promise that one day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This promise that one day he will make all things new. And when I remember that God has been faithful in the past and he's kept his promises in the past, that he's working in the present and that he's promised good for us and for believers in the future, hope grows in me. And, and here's the thing about the hope that Jesus gives. When Jesus gives you hope, he doesn't want you to just kind of keep it for yourself and to hoard it. He doesn't want hope hoarders, okay? He wants you to share it with other people. 
He wants you to share it with other people. And so when I think about my childhood and those Christmas mornings where I'd wake up and I'd go in there and I'd get the gift that I really wanted. My grandparents, both sets, lived about half a mile from my house growing up. I was blessed. And so after I got those gifts that brought me such joy, I would go and I would take them and I would take them to my grandmother's house and I would show her and I would share my gift with her. I would take it to my other grandmother's house, my Nana's house, and I would share it with my cousins and I would show them how cool it was because this thing that I had received, it wasn't really just meant for me to enjoy myself. It was something that that I was so excited about that I shared it with others and that's what God wants our hope to be. He wants to fill us with hope and then he wants us to share that hope with a world that is so often hopeless around us. And, and, and this is why you hear us talking about return to Bethlehem as a church so much throughout the year. This is why we pour a lot of money into it, a lot of resources, a, a lot of energy, a, a, a lot of man hours. It's because God has called us as a church, people who have been given the gift of hope, who are filled with hope. He calls us to share it with others. And that's what we do each year through Return to Bethlehem. We have the God-given opportunity to share hope with people who live right in our local community. People who probably on their own will never just step foot in this church as their first step of faith. And you've heard the stories of hope that have come along with Return to Bethlehem in the past. Uh, Jean shared uh, a few weeks ago that that story about the time a a woman came and and she was hopeless, truly hopeless. And she went on the journey and Jesus gave her hope and she said, tonight, you know what, I'm not going to end my life. And she left this place as a different woman. I've been a part of the prayer tent many years. And I've gotten to pray with people who, who were driving by and they said, I didn't know what was going on, but it looked kind of like a lot of traffic and stuff. So we just pulled in and, and they come and we say, hey, can we pray for you? And I've seen people who came in and who kind of had despair and weren't looking forward to Christmas or the future leave with hope. One year, a few years back, we had a family. They came through and in the prayer tent, somehow they mentioned, hey, you know what? It's a tough Christmas. We don't have any gifts for our, our family this year. And, and it wasn't like a ministry of the church. Somebody in the tent said, hey, we'll, we'll get you gifts. Give us, give us your kids' names and ages and we'll, we'll, we'll give you Christmas. And people from our church delivered those gifts to that family. And that family was filled with hope as they realized, you know, God hasn't abandoned this world. He is still at work. And so when we look back to the past at how God has been faithful and worked through this ministry, you know, hope, hope grows in us. As we look around at the present of how God is working now, this past week, uh, a church that's not even in our community but is in Georgia, another United Methodist church, gave us $1,500 for a return to Bethlehem this year. That was just unexpected. Unexpected generosity. Getting in the newspaper, we, we didn't beg them or plead with them for that. We just picked up the newspaper one day and saw it, and that was exciting. Right? God is at work drawing people here, even in the difficult times we're in. 
he is at work this year and we're trusting that he's going to be at work this weekend and in the future. And so this morning as we close our service together, I just, I just want to encourage you, if you've walked into this place and you're feeling hopeless this morning, you're feeling like the best days are behind you and there's not good things in store in the future, I want to invite you during our closing song to just say, Jesus, would you give me hope? I can't manufacture it. I can't conjure it. I can't buy it. Even though people will try to sell it to me, just say, Jesus, would you give it to me? Because he is a good savior and he wants to give you that gift this morning. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. And then after worship, after we sing our closing song, is people with renewed hope who have been filled with hope. We want to we invite you to, to go behind our building to the return to Bethlehem village. And we're going to pray over the village together. We're going to pray that God would spread hope through our event next weekend. And that people would walk away as changed people. So I want to invite the band to come up and I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to sing and then we'll go out to the village afterwards. But would you pray with me? God, we need, we need hope. We're so quick to look at everything that's wrong in the world and to despair and to think things aren't going to get better. And so this morning we ask that you would give us new eyes to see. That you would give us renewed hearts. Ultimately we simply ask that you would give us yourself and your Holy Spirit. And we ask that as people who, who have hope in our hearts, we pray that you would help us share that with every single person we encounter. Today, at return to Bethlehem and in the days ahead. And we ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I invite you to stand and worship with us.